This editorially independent podcast is supported by Visit Flanders. But it's so sad this period that nothing is happening and we wanted to do something even though we were not able to do a real tour de Geuse. At least we were able to do this and it's not 100% the same, of course, as of course, a tour de Geuse. It's not the same experience, but we are bringing experience to people because our life continues as well. And we need to be able to enjoy even in these darker times, these more difficult times. Uh, so we wanted to bring something uh, up uh, that uh, everybody can uh, can enjoy, even from uh, from Belgium, of course, but uh, outside yeah, of Belgium. From all the countries, and they yeah. would be traveling here, a lot of them for the tour de years anyway. My name is Brendan Kearney, and you're listening to the Belgian Smack Podcast. So the Tour de Huse is an event which takes place every two years in which members of Haral, a group of Lambic breweries and blenderies in Belgium, open their doors to the public for a whole weekend. The Tour de Huse was scheduled for 2021, but because of COVID and the restrictions on travel and on hospitality and, you know, like groups coming together, just couldn't go ahead. I have to say, the Tour de Huse is usually a really special event. It started in 1997 and it just gets bigger and better every year. You know, the world of Lambic is so unique. It's filled with incredible history and compelling characters, obviously wonderful beers, and this special backdrop of villages. There are chartered buses that run specific routes during the Tour de Huse as thousands of people make their way across the Pelotonland from site to site during the weekend. They're listening to live music, you know, they're drinking Eau de Huse and Eau de Creek and a, a bunch of other wonderful Lambic beers. It's really sad that it couldn't go ahead this year as intended. But to fill the gap, a new event was proposed, the Tour de Huse at home, showcasing each of the Lambic breweries and blenderies in specially filmed videos, as well as a series of interactive live sessions during which the public could ask questions of the brewers and blenders. So Horal teamed up with Visit Flanders, Tourism Vlaams Brabant and a live event streaming company called Bitstream to set up a small studio in one of the most respected beer cafes in Belgium for Lambic, Café in the Verzekering tegen de Grote Dorst in the village of Ezeringen. Lieselot Gaura of Beer Secrets hosted the event and I moderated the live sessions with brewers and blenders. So we had perspex screens between us. We, we wore our masks religiously between the streams. And to follow the Belgian COVID guidelines, we didn't share any beer at all during the event. You know, we, we wanted it to be safe and it really was.
So what you're about to hear are some clips from the first day of the Tour de Cusa at home. You'll hear me speak with Bruno Reinders of Mortsubit, with Thomas van der Lanotta of Timmermans, with Dirk and Heert Lindemans of Blauere Lindemans, with Jo Panels of Lambic Fabrique, and with Hart Christians of Old Beersel. The questions that I'm asking are coming in from a live chat feed. So before each conversation, I have no idea what will be asked or what we'll be talking about. And this, you know, interactive format is actually quite brilliant because the public very rarely gets to ask questions directly to these Lambic brewers and blenders in a live scenario like this. You can watch all the sessions now in their entirety on the website tourdehuse.be. That's tour T O E R de D E Huse G E U Z E. Be. But for now, sit back, listen, and enjoy the highlights of day one of the Tour de Cusa at home. Up first, it's Bruno Reinders of Mortsubit. Mortsubit has its roots in a farm brewery from 1604 called Den Hart, and it became Mortsubit in the 1970s. Mortsubit means sudden death. It's the name of a game that was played in, in a particular cafe in Brussels. And Bruno joined Mortsubit in 1985 when the brewery was owned by the Kiersmacher family. In 1989, 50% was sold to the Alken Mass Group, and then later it became part of the Heineken Group. We talked about what it's like producing Lambic within a bigger company group, how they work with fruit, and why their inoculation methods are different to other breweries. Lieselot mentioned that you have kind of you've been at um, Mozambique for quite some time. I think you started in 1985. 80, 85. Yes, 36 years now? November, no, 36. So, like, I mean, do you have any reflections on that time? I mean, it's, it's quite a long time to be involved in the Lambic world. Yeah, it's also, for me, a surprise. I never thought that I <laughs> was being so long in the brewery. So, yeah, I started when it was a small family brewery. Eh? And now we evolved and now we are part of one of the biggest breweries uh, in the world. But uh, we can work uh, still uh, on independent and we do it on our own way. Yeah, so that was the in the in the 1980s. It would have been the Kiers, the Kiersmacher family, yeah. um, and that sort of transitioned then into the Alkamas uh, group. Yeah, um, I mean, do, do you have any? Did anything change during that time? You know, obviously a, a sort of a smaller family Belgian uh, operation to a kind of a bigger uh, group. What, what was there any sort of changes to the to the the way that you were brewing lambic? The way we brew lambic is. Uh it changed a little bit in the 90s, but for the rest, it's, uh, it stays always. Uh, like I told you, we do it on our way. We, we do what we think that we have to do. But one of the, 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 the things is, of course, now that you, that you are a part of a bigger organization is there is more, uh, attention on safety, on environment. Uh, but for the rest, we work completely like we think that we have to do it. Yeah. And, you know, part of the, um, the production of the, of the cherry beer. So the Ode Creek and the, the Scalabix Ode Creek. Is that I think you might be in Mortsubit the biggest 
buyer of, of, of cherries, Belgian cherries, Belgian cherries among, yeah. among the, all the Lambic producers. Yeah, for us, the varieties that we use, the Belgian cherries are the best. We did a test in the past also with frozen cherries, with cherries coming from other regions in uh, Europe. But the Belgian cherries coming from the, the Hageland and Hasmengau are for us. Uh, yeah, so that's that's over sort of more in the east of uh, Belgium. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the fruit, the fruit growing the region. fruit region of Belgium. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, did, have you like worked directly with suppliers over there or farmers? Or, or, or we work with we have contracts with farmers. Yeah, yeah. And are those relationships that you've had for quite a long time? Uh, we, the relationship the relationship that you have with this farmer is longer than I was in the brewery. Okay, yeah. So when I started, we already worked with. Yeah, so 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 go on. So right. It was the father, and now it is the son. Yeah, yeah. Maybe we can uh, take some questions from the live feed. Um, so we have a question here um, about the spontaneous fermentation. So um, spontaneous fermentation is a little bit different to um, in, in your brewery than it is in other breweries. Um, how does the imitation of spontaneous fermentation work? Can we get more details on it? That's from beerglasses.eu. So I guess they're talking about yeah, uh, inoculation and, and fermentation. Yeah, we don't do it in an open uh, cool ship and uh, that's no secret. Uh, we do it uh, in, a, in, a, in a closed tank. Uh, what we need is a contact with the air. So, uh, and maybe I can tell you a little story. Uh, I think it's now 10 years ago, maybe a little bit more. And I had the visit of three professors of the University of Leuven. Uh, it was Derdelings, Verachtert, and uh, also Professor de Keukelaere, the famous hop professor. And they were a little bit skeptical when they arrived. Uh, how you make lambic and you don't have a cool ship? I say, wait, we do the tour of the brewery, we taste the beers. And when they leave the brewery, after the visit, after tasting of the beers, they congratulate me. They say, congratulations with your brewery, with the way that you make your lambic and with the quality of your beers. Wonderful. Uh, but the, the, in terms of like the actual like technical details of it, so the idea is that there is inoculation from the air. What you're doing is you have a, a closed vessel. We have a closed vessel that's filled with air. And are you putting air in And we beforehand? inject air also when we pump the beer from the brew house to the barrel. Okay, and that's just the air that you have in the Piotrland, so and you're trusting that, you know? It's just the air that is in the brewery. Sure. The, the brew, it's the environment of the brewery, it's the culture that lives in the brewery, yeah. And, you know, have you ever had any, like, issues with inoculation that, you know? No. Uh, I think the positive thing is that since we do that, that the quality is more stable because uh, we can clean the recipe and the tank. Uh, we can clean it very well. What we need is the contact with the air. We need nothing more. It's a contact with the air. And that will start the fermentation. Yeah, and so fermentation yeah. has always been pretty... pretty and good. it's close to something that is open. Uh, maybe something can happens always, but when it's closed, you only have your contact with the air when everything is clean. Has there has there been any like um, you know um, sort of chemical analysis that you know? Oh yeah, we have high level of lactobacillus, or we have you know certain. Uh, we know that no, but we know we have the experience. The experience that in in very cold periods you have the best contact, the the, the, the cleanest air. Uh, when it's raining and it's ten degrees, we're never gonna start a, a spontaneous fermentation. So that's a similar consideration to those using a cool ship, I guess, because. The cooler weather also suits their inoculations. Yeah. And the warmer it gets, the more difficult it becomes. Hold on. Yeah. And we, we really try when it's very cold to have so much as possible uh, uh, brews that we can uh, bring in contact with here. Yeah. Um, question now coming in from Logan. Has the taste of the Lambic of Mortsubit changed significantly over the time you have worked there? How would you describe the flavor profile of Mortsubit Lambic? 
Uh, I think our lambic has its own taste, but that's normal because it's uh, uh, with our own culture. Uh, with all the edge, you have your every brewery has its own culture, and I think for a more bit, it's more uh, the taste of uh, uh, tropical fruit. Sometimes when we taste the lambic and you do it in a wine glass, you think you you tasting or you smell a chardonnay. This is the, the, the white wine, eh? the Chardonnay. Mm -hmm. It's really, yeah, yeah. and that's typical for most of it. There's a very fruity flavor. Okay. Um, another question here I see is um, uh, by using a closed, this is from somebody who names themselves Farty on online. By using a closed fermentation tank instead of an open cool ship, do you brew Lambic the whole year through? No, no, no. The we brew a whole year, but the spontaneous is only in winter when it's very cold. Yeah, because I, I and from what we start up in winter, we can brew a whole year. So it's a system of the Rafflasser. It's a very famous, uh, you know, in the brewery world. Yeah. Very yeah. normal way of working in brewery world. And, and so, so like they, what we start in winter, we, tr we keep it alive in good condition. And that is the basic where we brew it a whole year. But you're not inoculating in the summer. No, 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 no. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what you Spontaneous have. Spontaneous only in winter. Yeah. What you have in your tanks then you can then use throughout the year. Yeah. yeah which is, which would be slightly different yeah. to the others. Um, um, uh, we have another question here. During your career, the brewery has passed on from the family to Kiersmacher to Alken Mass and finally to Heineken. Did this change something for you as a brewer? I guess we've kind of talked about that, but I mean, is, is there, you know, what, what are the noticeable things about working for a bigger group? Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's uh, other, priori not other priorities, but the priorities like safety is very important. Uh, environment is, uh, so the, the Heineken program, brewing a better world, uh, reduction of water, reduction of energy, what normal is. Uh, but for the rest, the way of working, the way we make our lambic, it's yeah. nothing has changed. Yeah, and is is there? Um, I mean, from talking to your colleagues and you know other other brewers and blenders within Horal, um, is the 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 kind of the, the, the ingredients that you're using? Um, you know, obviously you're using raw wheat and all the, the traditional process. But is there some slight tweaks that you have maybe that are different from from your colleagues? Uh, for lambic, you need minimum 30% of wheat. We're using 40% of wheat, but for the rest, it's, uh, I don't know exact how much, uh, wheat that my colleagues are using. So we're using 40% wheat. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, question here. Uh, back in 1985, whose decision was it to specialize in spontaneously fermented lambics only? So I guess that was the family. Yeah. yeah so I guess Mortsubit, um, the history of Mortsubit actually was, you know, it, it's a brewery that, that has its roots back in the sort of, I, th I guess, 16 or 1700s. 1640 is the oldest date that we know. Okay. So that's, you know, quite, quite a history. Yeah. Um, and, you know, probably started as many would have then as a farm brewery and brewing, you know, what they could. Developed, I guess, brewing other beers. What other beers w w was more to be brewing before it was a local lager beer, Koppils, and it was a high fermentation beer, Hertal. It was uh, an uh, amber beer, like uh, Jar of Palm. So when you come in to Mortsubit in '85, you were also brewing lager and. Once I brewed uh, the Koppils, and then it was finished. It was only Lemic. Okay. When I arrived, I, I, I arrived in November 85. So it was in December that we made the last uh, time the cop pills, the local pills, because there were, now there are, it's just one pub in Copingham and there were different pubs in Copingham and they served the local uh, lager beer. And then it was only like since then. So if you were to now step into, uh, uh, another brewery that brews lager or clean top fermented eels, the, that would be something quite alien to you. Well, <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, and you know, the, you have the, the Mortsubit Odekuse, the Mortsubit Ode Creek, and the, the Mortsubit Scalabix Ode Creek. Yes. Um, when are you personally like drinking those beers? Are you, you know, having them on the meal or, you know, you're the brewer of them, so you're dealing with them all the time. So are you, are you drinking them in certain contexts or is it, you know, just keep that at work? Uh, no, no, no. I can drink uh, when I come home in summer. Uh, I can enjoy an old goose on my terrace outside in the sun. Uh, or when I make a walk in on Sunday with friends in, in, in the, in, in the forest. Uh, after that, we go to a purple terrace. I can drink a creek. So it really depends. Uh, okay. And are you drinking other styles of beer as well? Yeah. Just I to clarify. Um, okay. Logan has a question. What is the mashing process at Mortsubit? Uh, also, how long do you boil the wort? So, Obviously, Logan's looking to uh, practice and see what... what Oil of the wort is, I think, one hour. So it's... Uh, it's an, uh, we uh, built a new brew house two years ago, and it's a normal brewing. So brewing is for Lambic, is, is in the most of the breweries, it's normal. It's like you brew other beers. It's more since... I say always in the brew house, we are brewers. But in the other part of the brewery, we are more like a winemaker. Yeah, because for blending, yeah. Because wooden barrels, we always blend the beers. We're working with fresh fruit. Uh, so it's not... Uh, but yeah, brewing so, is more, uh, it's normal. Yeah, so let's, let's talk very so briefly. We use the infusion method. Yeah. For connoisseurs, they know what, uh, yeah. brewing is. So, so for the, um, for the, the, the blending part of the part that you say is more like winemakers, um, you're actually in what's a bit using, um, larger fooders rather than smaller barrels. So I think you have yeah. fooders ranging from, I think, 6,000 to 50,000 yeah, liters. Um, where, where are those coming from originally and why the choice not to use some of the, the, the smaller barrels? Uh, different reasons. Uh, when I started there, we had on, we had big, big ones, but not so much, uh, but a lot of small, but it's a lot of work to uh, make the, the small barrel. So you have one brew of, uh, 50,000 liter and one, one, uh, pep was uh, 600 liter. So you need, uh, 25 barrels. You have to clean 25 small barrels. You have to replace them. It was a lot of work. Yeah. And, so uh, that's related to the scale of, of what you're doing. Yeah. It makes more sense yeah. on your scale yeah, yeah, to yeah. use fooders. Yeah. And then we made the decision only work with the big barrels. Uh, yeah. Because uh, it's, it's, it's a lot of work hours in a small barrel. And have you used the smaller barrels before? Yeah. And noticed, have you noticed like, and a, also a, uh, every barrel has its own taste. Sure. So uh, when you have one brew in 25 barrels and you have 25 different tastes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Next, it's Timmermans. Timmermans has brewed Lambic in Itterbeek for the last 300 years. The original brewery was called the Mole Brewery. And it was a farm, an orchard, a cafe and a, and a malt house. But then in 1911, Franz Timmermann began focusing on the brewery. And in 1992, Timmermans joined the John Martin Group of Breweries. Thomas van der Lanotta has brewed at Timmermans since 2012. We discuss what it's like to produce spontaneous mixed and clean beer on a regular basis, collaborating with non-Lambic breweries from outside Belgium and the tradition of Faro. So, you know, you've been working uh, as part of the, the John Martin group of breweries, I think since 2012. Yep. And, you know, that's a, a group that, uh, of course, uh, includes Timmermans, uh, Lamech Brewery, um, but also, I think, Bourgogne de Flanders in Bruges yep. and the Waterloo Brewery down in Waterloo. Yep. Now, those uh, other two breweries are doing something a little bit different to Timmermans. Uh, Bourgogne de Flanders is producing, yeah, mixed fermentation beer essentially and Waterloo is like a top clean you know top fermented clean ale 
So Timmermans is not any of those things. Timmermans is a spontaneously fermented, you know, wheat ale called Lambic. So when you're trying to go between those three sites and apply yourself to those three different types of brewing, does that give you uh, like a, a certain perspective on the production of Lambic? Um, we try to implement the techniques we get from the three sites um, on the three sites. Uh, one of the big advantages we have um, is that um, if there's a new brewer, um, he has to be trained on the brew inst installation of Timmermans, but as well on Bourgogne Flander and Waterloo, um, also on the, the distillery we have now. Um, so um, we have the brewers, me uh, as well, we learn how to brew um, that Lambic beer, uh, but at the same time, if we're brewing in, in Bourgogne Flander or Waterloo, uh, we can try to relate um, techniques um, and bring in some techniques from one to another site or in the opposites. So can you give me some examples of that? Um, for instance, in, in Bruges, um, it's mainly our um, site of um, experimenting with beers. Every few weeks, we try to produce something new. Uh, we try them on uh, the local uh, pub we have. Um, and if it works, it goes into large production by the Martins Group. Um, and we've done some crazy stuff, some normal stuff. Um, but for instance, we did a, a few years ago, we did a sati um, with uh, a raw ale where you normally don't use uh, hops, you don't boil. Um, you use the stem of a, a pine tree mm -hmm, throughout right. your beer. So we, we cut down the pine tree, which was the Christmas tree um, in the middle of the courtyard. Mm -hmm. uh, we use that as our um, tube getting from the filter to the boiling kettle. But then we used um, old hops uh, during the process and we did a little bit of boiling just to have that antibacterial. Um, and those are things that you take from Timmermans into that process. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. Um, same thing with um, the Bruinenos, one of the beers in Bruges. Um, we normally brew it um, in open fermenters. We then uh, go to closed fermentation. Um, and it's then blended with the Lambic to produce a Bourgogne Flander. Mm -hmm. um, but we did, um, we got some freshly emptied barrels from Timmermans, transported the day itself to, to Bruges, mm -hmm. filled them straight in with that brown beer, which has quite a lot of residual sugars, mm -hmm. um, around six, six and a half. Um, and it had um, all the bacteria uh, and yeast. We wanted to do a, a secondary fermentation in a fresh barrel, yeah. which worked out very well as well. And I guess in a way, it's not just the like the, the processes that you're kind of sharing or borrowing from each site, but you know um, the group is also responsible for bringing I think Guinness into yep. um, Belgium. So there you have, um, I think a few years ago, you guys did a collaboration with between Timmermans and Guinness, yep. um, which was effectively yeah a new type of beer. I, I, can you tell me a little bit about that? Well, the Martins um, uh, family was um, or is still the oldest um, active importer for Guinness. Uh, so they have quite a long history together. And um, a few years ago, Anthony Martin was in the um, uh, storehouse in, in Guinness. Um, and um, with, together with the, the CEO of, of Guinness, uh, they had a, a very interesting talk and he came back with the question, is it possible to do something with... So that was like a long relationship that turned into a question because I see there was a question there from Camille. I wonder how the cooperation with Guinness came to be. I love the beer. Was it uh, thanks to John Martin? So I guess well, it was... Yeah, it, it's part thanks to John Martin. Uh, the, the current um, uh, CEO is Anthony Martin. He's the, the, the grandson. Um, 
but John Martin started uh, Guinness Export Stout, which was a stronger um, Guinness for the Belgian market. Um, and it's that Guinness Export Stout that we used to blend with um, West Indies Porters, um, the yeah. bottle with the blue label yeah, yeah. Guinness, um, to get the, the coffee notes, the chocolate notes from the West Indies, the coffee notes and the um, stronger um, roasted notes from the, the Guinness export. And then we blended that with uh, cherry lambic, um, 400 grams per liter um, of uh, sour cherries um, to make that blend of... Um, and like, were there, were there some interesting discussions in there about like, yeah, we really can't let the cherry disappear. We need to get some more of the chocolate. Like how, how did that blending session go? It was very interesting because <laughs> it was like, whoa, way too much cherries, <laughs> way too much stout. What was the, what were the kind of the, well, of course the guys at Guinness, uh, they like the Guinness taste and, um, our team was very fond of the cherry and lambic taste. Sure. So sure. <laughs> it was getting into a balance in between the, the two worlds. But at the end, we, we managed to make a blend which starts, um, quite high in the, the chocolate flavors mm -hmm. and then drops into a cherry chocolate taste and then yeah. ends up with that dry coffee touch you had to have in the back. And uh, when tasting that blend, everybody was okay Every, with... Everyone was happy enough at the end. Another question, Jenya asks, why do you have a mole on your logo? That's a very... <laughs> <laughs> That's a good, good question. question. <laughs> um, it's, it's part of the history. So you mentioned um, um, the history... Um, that we are still the, the oldest active brewery, Lambic brewery um, of the Peotland. Um, and that mole is because of, um, if you go back to 1702, um, there weren't the same amount of buildings where we are now. Um, it was much more fields of wheat and um, open fields. Um, and it, because of the, the hilly look of uh, Peotland, um, if you're taking a tour here, you'll feel it in your uh, quadriceps. <laughs> okay. Um, it looks like moles that have, um, put little heaps of, um, uh, dirt everywhere. Um, so the first, uh, uh, brewer uh, that started the brewery of Timmermans, um, he gave the name, um, the mole as a name for the brewery. Uh, oh, okay. And that's going back to like the, the 1702 at that so time. Van der Malen was the first, um, family, um, that started Timmermans. Um, and he gave that uh, name to so the mo the mulberry, and it is the the logo has stuck yeah. to this day. Okay. Well, um, it's only a few years ago that we um, got know of of all those um, Old, older documents. Names. Yeah, yeah. Um, and since a few years, we now have that little mold back on the bottle. Okay, excellent. I mean, another another traditional product, I guess, that you uh, produce in Dimmermans is Faro. Yeah. yeah, which is, you know, it's been around for a long time, has its history, a long history in the Pajota land. Um, I'm sure a lot of people watching will know what Faro is, but maybe for those that, for those that don't and are new, could you explain what it is and, you know, how you guys are producing it at Timmermans? Yeah. Um, what we now do is, is we produce um, a lambic um, similar to um, the, the normal production, um, but we add um, um, cane, uh, no candy, sugar um, before bottling and then, um, pasteurized. Um, but back in the days, it was uh, basically the beer after filtration, you still have um, a bit of sugar inside your filter tank. Um, so what they did was they added more water, uh, washed out uh, more of the liquid, which was very 
um, low in sugars, um, had much more grain uh, flavor to it. Um, and then uh, that would, beer would, would be called Mars or Mirs. Um, after producing that beer, they added candy sugar to that, uh, which was the Faro, uh, which was um, softer, sweeter. Nowadays, our Faro is, for instance, four, four and a half percent alcohol. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you go back in history, probably it was more one, one and a half, max two percent in alcohol. Um, so it was a beer which was uh, drank by kids up to um, all ages, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Did you, did you drink as a kid? I uh, was able to drink table beer, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think we were the lucky last ones to, to not have any problems. <laughs> yeah. We didn't serve the beer, which is, of course, part of why uh, I'm now in, in the beer industry, I guess. Sure, sure. And another sort of, we were talking about Faro, another like, well, maybe not traditional product, but something really based on Lambic is the Lambicus Blanche that you guys have. So Lambic itself is a wheat, is yeah. a wheat beer. Um, so tell me, I think in Belgium it's 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 a it's a known beer from Timmermans. Uh, yeah. Tell me a little bit about the Lambicus Blanche. Well, first of all, when the terrace back back open, that's probably one of the first beers I'll have because it's it's very thirst quenching, and it has that citrusy flavor and um, coriander touch to it um, from a normal wheat beer. We um, yeah, it's like super soft, super yeah. super drinkable. Yeah. Um, so it's it's a regular Lambic production. Uh, Young Lambic, which we use for that, mm -hmm. um, where we use uh, coriander and curacao, uh, bitter orange, um, to get the same um, spicy flavors as normal wheat beer. Mm -hmm. um, and that young uh, beer is then bottled. Uh, so that's that um, Lambicus Blanche. Okay. So it has the fruitiness and the, the spiciness of the wheat beer, uh, but with the, the sourness and the, the high drinkability of Lambic. So next, it's Lindemans. The Lindemans family story in Vlesenbeek begins in 1822. It was originally a farm brewery called Hof der Wegen, or Farm of Bad Roads. The sixth generation of the family who are our guests today, cousins Dirk and Hirt, started full-time in 1993, and they officially took over control of the brewery in 2006. We talked about the Spontan Basel beer with Mikelet, how that inspired their botanical Lambic series, and what it's like to work together as owner cousins. Maybe we can go into uh, some questions from, from the, the people watching. Um, I think some of the questions here seem to be coming in about Spontan Basel. I had the Spontan Basel recently. It was one of the most unique beers I ever had. I loved it. How did you come up with this unique taste? Was it thanks to the cooperation with Mikeler? So. Yeah, talk to me a little bit about, like, first, like, how that came about. Yes, well, we were looking for spices to make a lambic with spices. We did a lot of trials and tests and stuff like that. And then we, uh, talked it over with Mikler and, uh, he also did uh, his input and, um, he pushed us a little bit farther than we would go normally, let's say. And then once we found the basil taste that really matched it with the lambic taste, the sourness of the lambic really gives a really good... Uh, so so how, how did the initial contact happen? Because, you know, I don't want to make presumptions, but Brauerei Lindemans and Mikkeler might not be always operating in the same sphere no, no, in no. terms of like where they sell their beer and, and that type of thing. So like how, how did you guys kind of come to, to meet Mikkel? Mikkel came to us, in fact. Yeah. yeah, he was visiting our brewery and he said, yeah, it was a dream of him to work with a real lambic, eh, to do something with a real lambic. 
And he was saying, okay, uh, let's let's make a, a beer together. But uh, first uh, we thought, okay, another fruit beer. Uh, the market is already saturated with fruit beer, so we have to think a little bit further. And then Geert came up with uh, maybe uh, we can try uh, a kind of spice of herb uh, with a dry spice method. Were you working dry... on it already or was it a new idea? Uh, we had the idea, but it was not really, yeah. Real was, there was no match. And so we, we tried different herbs. Um, but then the challenge, of course, was not only the taste, which has to match with the sourness of, of the lambic, but also uh, after re-fermentation, you have to see that the taste is still there because yeast can eat also the flavors. Yeah. And those days can be subdued. Uh, yeah. So a lot of herbs were not uh, suitable for re-fermentation, but uh, basil uh, was in fact, fact a real success. And uh, the match with uh, the sourness of the lambic was, was perfect. Yeah, I think people were really surprised at how well it worked. Yeah. Um, because it is sort of fairly unusual in, you know, compared to some of the traditional ingredients that will be used. And... <clears throat> Another thing was that it was it, it paired really well with food. It became like this really good sort of gastronomic mm -hmm. sort of uh, product. So, like, did, was that a consideration when you were launching the, the beer that you know you thought, oh, this this is great with food, or is that just with all lambic maybe that you produce? Well, it's in it's in our vision also um, to try always something new to make people curious about uh, goose and lambic, and so introduce them in our world. Uh, and we thought, okay, and we can make people curious and then introduce them in the world of the old goose and, and the lambic. But uh, suddenly the, the spontan basil was, uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, we thought to make it as a one shot and limited edition, um, but it was really a success. And so, yeah, we only produced the first time 15,000 bottles. But one night they were all sold, so we, we were sold out. So a lot of uh, yeah customers were a bit sad. Uh, so I couldn't try the, the spontan basil, so we made made it once again. But then the same uh, <laughs> problem, uh, and so but now we we keep it in um, in our range effect um, yeah. permanently. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, here you mentioned that. There was a little bit of a discussion with with Mikkel when you were producing it. Mm -hmm. I mean, where did you where did you sit in that discussion? Like, put us in the room. Did you say like, let's just pull back and keep it a little bit more classic, mm -hmm. so that the old accuser yeah. is at the forefront? Mm -hmm. And then Mikkel is you know shouting shouting at you in his Danish English that no, we need to. No, no, it has to be distinctive. It has yeah. to be that far okay <laughs> so that was just a series of, of tasting i guess yes, that, that course, you yeah. came to a... also with different types of basil i didn't know that there were so many types of basil herbs uh, so you go from uh green to red colored also uh, so and what's the difference in in what those well it's do? um the the bitterness afterwards that's so, sometimes different so okay we have to look for also very very fresh basil also because you cannot use dry because that gives other flavors yeah so it's it's always a, a search. Yeah, you you want this kind of fresh, like almost verging on some would say minty, I guess. Yes, sometimes, yes, mm, of course. Um, okay, so Eras uh, people asks, what fruit, plant, or spice that you haven't used yet in any of your lambics would you like to experiment with in the future? I think please answer that, but also that gives you a chance to talk about the other beers in the botanical range, maybe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, today we already have a ginger goose and a blossom goose. 
Um, Blossom Goose is um, yeah, a little bit floral of taste and it makes the old goose very accessible without making it sweet. And so um, it's, a, it's a good one. And then Ginger Goose also, um, that's um, with Galangal, a, a Thai uh, ginger. Uh, we can produce it only once a year because we also have to use it uh, fresh and okay. to cut, we have to cut it in, in small pieces and then it's like an infusion. We put it in a tank of lambic and then after a couple of hours we take it out and so then you have a, a kind of maceration of yeah. the ginger into the lambic and the lambic takes out the flavor of the ginger. Then there is a re-fermentation on bottle and then you have that nice... A uh, combination of of the ginger taste with the sourness of the lambic, yeah. and that matched very well with uh, Japanese food like uh, sushi or sashimi. Uh, yeah, it has that zing and that yes. brightness about it. Yeah, but I'd also imagine, and correct me if I'm wrong, that ginger also can have quite an overpowering flavor if if used in too high a quantity. Yep, but unlike perhaps maybe some of the more floral ones, which you know mm -hmm. maybe more subtle. So did did you did you have difficulty finding a level or was that no problem? We're experienced. Yeah. We're Lindemans. Always trial and Always error. Trial. <laughs> yeah, that's why we use uh, ginger from uh, Thailand and not from China because uh, the ones from uh, Thailand are more soft and more easy to to go. In fact, yeah, yeah. And they only are harvested in February, so we can only make it from February to March. Yeah. So it's quite a small window. And I mean, the, so to address the question then about. Um, you know, uh, other potential spices or fruits or herbs. Do you have plans to produce another botanical eau de cuisine? Well, we think about it, but it has to be good. And it's not that we every year want to have a new one. It has to be good. Otherwise, we don't do it. But that sounds like you have one in mind here <laughs> that you're just going to, you're going to tell me about now, no? I have uh, a dream. That's <laughs> okay. Uh, moving on. Next question. Uh, this is come from Lambic Lover. You are the biggest independent Lambic brewery. What if the big capital comes to try and take over your brewery? Okay, so uh, the, the, the gentleman from Anheuser-Busch Inbev or yeah, you know, yeah. from Heineken walk in the door and they put a big check, blank check on the table. Mm -hmm. what, what did Dirk and Hirt say? Where will be the satisfaction then? Eh? No, no. Um, Lambic is our passion. And um, in the past already, uh, there was some interest of other brewers. Or breweries um, but yeah we we always say no because uh, we believe in our product in our brewery um, and it's not yet finished yet eh? probably there's next generation and so it will be a little bit stupid to cut it off now and uh, sell everything for what for the money then you have a lot of money what will you do with the money mm, I don't know it will not give you any satisfaction anymore uh, the brewery is giving us satisfaction and that's the most important thing. So. Yeah, I mean, you know, you touched on the fact that there's a new generation. There is a long history of Lindemann's. Yep. Um, you guys are here in your beautifully branded shirts. I'm, up, I'm really, <laughs> really <laughs> loving your Brand new. The text message this morning, get the Lindemann shirt on. Like you guys are, I think, the sixth generation of, of the Lindemann's brewery mm -hmm. and your cousins. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, in a lot of the stories of, of Belgian breweries, there's, there's a lot of intergenerational history. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes that also comes with tension because, you know, you have um, brothers and sisters aren't working together. You have cousins and stuff. So was it always the case that you guys were going to take over and own the brewery? Or was there a kind of a, maybe a different path for you that you wanted to do something else at any point? Like, how, how did the transition go from Nestor and René to, to Dirk and Heert? 
Oh, yeah, um, it's a long story. Eh? Uh, as kid, we were already playing at the brewery at that time, but then we grew older and uh, then it was working every week and every vacation. Uh, it was uh, yeah, less uh, pleasant, but anyway, um, and at a certain moment, uh, my father and my uncle asked us um, if we would like to follow up the brewery because at that moment, the brew house had not enough capacity anymore. It was the beginning of the 90s. Uh, and so if we were not interested, they will not do the investment anymore to build a new brew house. But then Geert and I, we said, OK, we will uh, go further with that uh, after our studies and also uh, duty in that time. Uh, it was in 93. Then we um, worked full time at the brewery. And at the beginning, it was not really easy because, yeah, working with a fifth generation with uh, another vision than we had was, uh, was yeah, not easy, yeah. in fact. Yeah. And, but um, with a lot of patience and um, convincement, yeah, we, we find our way. And we took over uh, the brewery in 2006, um, Geert and I. And then we said also to each other, on, okay, communication within a brewery is very important. And two captains on one ship, ah, it's not always easy. And for that reason, um, we uh, took somebody from uh, outside, an external uh, person, it's Jan Delcourt. And he's now um, head of our uh, board. Mm -hmm. And uh, every month we come together and we talk yeah, at least uh, once a month, it's even more. And we talk about everything, uh, about investments, about uh, HR, about um, yeah, new uh, product development. Um, yeah, so and that works very well. Yeah, I, you know, I think that, that you know, some of the tension in, in, the, in, the, in the changeovers of generations comes from a lack of communication. Mm -hmm. yeah. That there maybe isn't uh, the, the shared vision or maybe not a communication of that vision enough that the, the, the generation shared. So it's good that, you know, you guys have you know, found a way to do that and, and maintain this long heritage. And I guess maybe it helps also that you're kind of different skill sets and you're kind of looking after commercial things more and you're maybe more in production and that gives a little bit your own um, your wheelhouse. Mm -hmm. yeah. would, that be, would that be a fair assessment? Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. So the next guest is Jo Panels from Lambic Fabrik. They're the newest Lambic brewery in Horal. And this Tour de Cusa at home is actually their first Tour de Cusa as members. Basically three friends, all called Jo, Jo Panels, Josef van Bosteraten and Jo van Aert, began experimental home blends in 2008, and then they started you know, commercially in 2016. They're located in the same location as another brewery, sharing a brew kit with the already established Balho brewery, uh, who produced top fermented beers. We discussed Lambic Fabrik's origin story, what it's like to be a new Lambic brewery, and you know how they gained their confidence. Yo Panels, welcome to the Tour de Cusa at home. Thanks. Uh, we have a, a Perspex glass between us here for COVID safety reasons. Yeah. And um, obviously we, it would be great to share a glass of the Bretal Eau de Cusa, but unfortunately again, because yeah. of the COVID regulations, yeah. we, we have to respect the, the rule, but um, yeah, maybe, maybe later. Um, so your um, this is actually your first tour de Cusa. <laughs> yes. So so how's that going? Yeah, it, it's the first one, and uh, yeah, it's already the yeah on the alternative way. So uh, it's it's a pity. Yeah. Yeah. I I was the the editions before I was a 
I also uh, participate on the Tour de Geuse, but then as a visitor. And now, yeah, we are a member of Horal and, uh, yeah, okay, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's the, not the full experience. Just no, not I mean, at all. You, know, no. you said you have been as a consumer, you know, to, to yeah. the, so, you know, you've been to see them before. What, what do you think is the magic of the, of the Tour de Hoosa? Yeah, all the, all the breweries, uh, they said open their, their doors. Uh, you can see the, yeah, the parts of the, of the production, uh, the stories behind the, the brewery. So, uh, yeah, it's, you can feel the, yeah. The magic and the, the heritage and the, the story, uh, the product. And everyone is so different as well. Yeah, also, also, also the the difference between the the producers, the the product. So uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a real experience. I mean, I know that the the Tour de Cusa for twenty twenty two has kind of, it's moved up to, to next year. Yeah. So I mean, you'll be obviously opening your doors yeah. then to, to yeah. people to come and yeah. visit. Yeah, that's the aim. Uh, yeah. So uh, and what what are you expecting from that? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I think we will have some yeah some people because we're we're new uh, in the on the scene. Uh, it's it's our first uh, tour de Geuse. So yeah, I think a lot of people doesn't know us already. So uh, yeah. Okay. Well, well, let's let's maybe go yeah. back and try and explain to people yeah. kind of wh where you guys came from. So. Um, you officially started Lambic Fabrique, uh, I guess, as a, as a business, as a, as a blendery in 2016. 16, yeah. But actually you were, you know, blending together the three, the three guys that are involved long before that. Yeah, long before. A couple of, it, it all started in, uh, in our local pub, uh, sipping some Hösner Creek. I, I, I can't remember. And at the end of the evening, <laughs> we said, um, yeah, we can do it also and we will do it better. So okay. <laughs> the, 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 after too much drinks and, um, but yeah, there was the idea and then the, the days and the weeks after, uh, yeah, someone said, ah, at home, I have some carboys, some uh, Dame Jean's and, um, yeah, we, we bought some Lambic. I can't remember where I think it was at uh, Hans's and then we have some, um, some, yeah, uh, fruit in the garden and we put it on the, on the carboys and, uh, yeah, it started like that. Like, were you already homebrewing or was this? No, no, it's really, really from scratch. It was because, you know, I, I can, I can totally imagine a lot of groups of guys sitting in, in bars in Belgium, yeah. drinking Hughes and saying, yeah, we're going to open a blendery. We're going to open a Lambic brewery, but actually making it happen is something else. So like you didn't have any brewing experience. No. No, nobody. The, 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 also, the first carboy uh, is exploded because we didn't put an airlock on it. Okay. And uh, yeah, it was less than one. Uh, it, the fermentation starts and it gets some, uh, yeah, it needs to escape. So, uh, so and, and yeah, I mean, that's every, every, you know, single batch becomes a lesson in effect. Yeah. So, I mean, what, when are we talking here? What's the time period? Is it like 2008 or? I think it was something like that. Yeah. 2007, eight, nine. And yeah. what was the, the Lambic world like at the time? Because now to 2021, I think it's a little bit different, right? It's different. It, it's more uh, popular. I think, yeah, it's, I think at that period it started. It, it's, it's all the, the beginning of the, yeah, of the revival of the, of the Lambic uh, scene. Um, Tilkan was started since a few years, I think. He was really the first one, I think, in the, yeah, and then, uh, yeah, you hear other people, yeah, we, we will do it also with some lambics and to do some uh, experiments. And we did it, but not with the idea uh, uh, we will create at the end the lambic fabric. No, so, not so at you, all. You were, you were buying lambics. Yeah. And, and we started with 20 liters, then we had uh, 50 liters, 100 liters. We bought some small materials. Uh, yeah. 
it went like that. Okay, so then there must have been a moment where you were like, okay, let's, you know, maybe take a more serious step or let's change things in a certain direction or? It, it started, um, we, we did uh, the grape harvest in France uh, and then um, at the winery, um, yeah, we were busy with, uh, with Lambic, but we didn't have any uh, wooden barrel. And uh, one moment we were at, uh, I think, uh, somewhere uh, at the winery and we asked at the owner, ah, but what do you do with the barrels? Uh, I cut it in pieces, I burn it, I burn it, it's French oak and it burns well. <laughs> And we said, ah, okay, uh, yeah. And he proposed, are you interested in some barrels or, uh, we said, yeah, if you have some, yeah, why not? And, uh, he had one barrel and uh, we put it in the car. He just fit it in the, in the trunk of the car and, uh, yeah, back home, <laughs> we said, all right, the first barrel and we filled it up with, with all the lambics that we had. And then the year after we had uh, five barrels and 10 barrels. And then one moment, uh, a friend of us said, "Ah, but uh, my father has a have a had a has a little um, warehouse in uh, Ruisbroek where we started. We can put or store there all the materials." And uh, so it started. And then one moment we had too much stock, too much stock, yeah. and we said, "Or two options: or uh, we do a barbecue with all the friends and uh, <laughs> we drink all the the beers we have, or we set up a structure and." Uh, yeah, we, we, we started with, actually the, with, with the blender. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's take another <clears> question <throat> here. Um, I'm curious, this is from Marika, but it also seems to be coming in from a few other people as well. I'm curious about the origin of the logo. <laughs> is there a particular thought behind the choice of a skull? Seems like a logo for a Bach beer or a black metal band. And there's also a question, I wonder what's your favorite black metal band? <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, tell, me, tell me about the logo. Yeah. Um, first of all, I'm totally not uh, into uh, black metal. Um, um, yeah, the logo, um, it's it's coming from um, Josef, um, my partner in the Lambic Fabrique. Uh, he has a sister and they, they have some sheeps at home. And um, yeah, they keep the sheep for, for the meat for their own. And uh, one day they slaughtered one and her husband, he said, oh, the skull of the, of the sheep. I'm, I'm really curious, curious about it. So um, he dig the hole, he put it in the ground. After a few months, uh, he digged it up and he cleaned it completely up. Um, and he had the skull. Uh, now the skull is still in the, in the Lambic fabric uh, above the door. And um, Josef uh, has a brother. Uh, it's quite an artist and he took a piece of paper, the skull, and he started drawing the, the skull. So at the end, it's, it's a drawing of the, of the skull. It's a free interpretation of the, of the skull of the sheep. Okay. That's, and we said, if we want to have a logo, it needs to be, yeah. It's nice. quite distinct. It's quite, yeah, distinct. Um, yeah. you know, you definitely know when you see it, you know, who it belongs yeah. to. Because the, the Lambic uh, scene, it's, it's quite traditional, but we thought, and we want to keep it. And we do it also, we brew and we work very traditional, but about the packaging and the, and the, and the logo, the idea was to have something more mm -hmm. than the traditional way. Sure, sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, Dale asks, can you expand on your relationship with Balho? Are you separate companies, but use the same brewing equipment? So yeah. I guess, yeah, for people that maybe don't know that you, you're working yeah. in the same premise, explain yeah. a little bit about yeah. how you work. So um, you can see it as two companies under one roof. And the only thing we share is uh, the brew house. 
so we brew on the equipment of uh, Belvo is the owner of the of the brew house. We brew on the brew house, and that's the only thing we use uh, of Belgo. Uh, we have our own bottle line. We have our cool chip. We have our own barrels. And like uh, for transferring wort, do you have your own hoses as well, or do you use the same hoses? The hoses. The the the, the, the like. No, we have each material. Uh, we have our own material. So uh, yeah, no, only the. The brew house is, is uh, yeah, we use from Belgo. I mean, I guess it's interesting because, you know, you have this, uh, Belgo are producing, I think, clean top fermented yeah. eels, yeah. Belgian eels. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they have their own range of beers. Yeah. And of course, you're producing something which, you know, is considered wild. You have yeah. some, you know, wild yeast bacteria. There's obviously a risk uh, more for Belgo, I guess, yeah, than for yeah, you. Yeah, definitely. So, so how do you, what, what sort of discussions do you have with them about <clears> make, making sure that you can maintain that sort of yeah but the most important thing is uh we don't use the bottle line of belgo we have our own um we we don't use uh, the cleaning materials of belgo we have our own and yet we work very very clean even belgo as lambic fabric but as a classic brewery you have to do it also and as a lambic brewery you have to do it also because for me, it's a misunderstanding. Yeah, oxygen it is the the friend of the the lambic brewers, and yes, it it's our friend when the wort is in the cool chip. But outside the cool chip, um, yeah, oxygen is is, is our same uh, enemy as for a top fermentation yeah. brewer. Well, you you still need some breathing during fermentation. Yeah, of course, of but course, it still has to be controlled. Yeah, of course, of course. I mean, following off Matt, there's a question there from. Uh, Sir Huzalot, coming from Berlin, yeah. he says, where do you collect all that knowledge about barrels, storing, maturing, brewing recipes, tasting and blending? I guess there is no Lambic class. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, like you're starting this professional yeah. Lambic, where does all that knowledge come from? Um, of course, yeah, there is no uh, uh, starting class. There's no Lambic uh, line you can call? No, <laughs> there isn't. Uh, Joseph, uh, he, he took the lessons to become a, a brewer, a classic brewer. And of course, if you take these lessons, there is a part of spontaneous fermentation and, and, and Lambic brew, but it's on a theoretical uh, way. Yeah, it's it's learning by doing. Uh, it's yeah, we, we started like this and Till today, we have still a lot of questions. Uh, yeah, sometimes we, yeah, we have questions that we that we don't see. Uh, what's the answer? We don't know. So, yeah, uh, it's, and sometimes it's also uh, sometimes often trial and error. Okay, um, then you you produce um, organic lambic. Yeah. So that's the the natural. Um, what what does organic lambic mean? Like what what is it? Uh, how do you produce it? Um, why, why also did you consider putting it in the range? The big difference is um, within the raw materials. So the the wheat and and the barley that you you buy it's from um, it's organic certified, and our classic uh, lambic is not. But the brewing uh, schedule is the same. So if we brew lambic, if it is organic or uh, not organic, the schedule is the same. Uh, the, re the result is different because the raw materials are are also different. Um, and are those raw materials dif more difficult to find and more expensive, or not? They are a little bit more expensive because, yeah, the the treatment of the of the of the raw materials is different than than non bio non uh, organic. And uh, what also is a, an, an another part is it, it takes a lot of administration because you have some uh, to certify. Uh, yeah, to certify it. Yeah, because you have the they come and check if you're really, you need to, yeah, to put on your barrels, this is organic, this is not. 
on the stock. You need to have all the process on paper. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> it's and a lot it, of uh, is it that you want that you want in your own heart to have an organic beer, or is it because you think it's interesting because there is demand on the market? It's 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 both. Uh, it's interesting to do it, and there's also a demand on the market. It, it's also another market, uh, and uh, yeah, it's nice to have it because yeah, you, you can play with it also. Uh, yeah. uh. Next, it's Old Beersel who were led between 1882 and 2002 by four generations of the van der Walden family. Then in 2005, Hart Christians relaunched the Oudbeersel brand, making a series of investments in like barrel cleaning installation and tanks and fooders and in, in a brewery shop. So Hart is not only the owner of Oudbeersel Blendery, but he's the current president of Horal. We talked about his plans to open a new bar beside the blendery, whether he has ambitions to install a brewery, and the revival of a cherry orchard behind the blendery. I mean, and, and considering, you know, next year or even later this year, I think you have some plans for uh, a new bar. Um, mm -hmm. So I think you're going to call it the Beerhouse Old Beersel? Yeah, that was the original name, actually. So the story of Old Beersel starts in 1882, and then in the, around 1930s, uh, they uh, they create a bar called Beerhaus Out Beersel. And uh, at the end of 2002, after four generations, uh, the brewery closed down. But next to the brewery, the bar also closed down because it was uh, managed by the nephew of the old brewmaster, same as the brewery. Uh, he managed the bar and the brewery for the last 12 years and then decided to close down both operations. And when I started in 2003 on the project, uh, the bar was for sale, but I couldn't buy the bar and buy the brewery so i decided to go for the brewery start for start first making the beer and then the bar was sold and became a flower shop and a few years ago i had the opportunity to buy back the building but then due to the huge investment uh, we waited a bit and uh, we wanted to start uh, investment in the uh, building to reopen the old bar of the brewery uh, last year, but due to COVID, that has been postponed. So yeah. now we're been around as a dream for quite a while. Then yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. To, to realize, but it. this is. I mean, I've always wanted to have a bar next to the brewery, but first we need to make the beer before we can start selling it. So uh, step by step, I started the brewery as a hobby. And the nice thing about that beer cell, uh, like Lizalot as well, said our slogan is "Beer Traditions Reborn," and we like to revive these kind of things. And reopening the bar of the brewery but on the exact same spot in the exact same building and we are trying to recover the old front of the building the old floors we have the wooden panels on the inside on the on the walls i mean this brings back the history of the brewery and then we'll introduce new modern elements uh, in there and it will and be I think, like you know we'll hopefully talk about some of the innovations that you know that have gone on but just a final question on the bar like you know people are watching and maybe we'll want to come to Beersel. What what can you expect when you when you would go into this bar maybe next year? Like, well, what's it going to look like? What are you going to be able to order your beer? What's this sort of experience going to be? Yeah, it will be experience. That it's uh, it's all about experience. Experience of the beers of our beer. So, uh, so I mean, it's all around our beers. Of course, you'll be able to eat something, but it will be. Uh, 
just a small number of plates. Uh, the main focus is the beer and all the activities around, so the brewery visits. But we also do like a lambic uh, blending experience or other activities. We have a castle walk uh, to the castle of Beersel in the theme of the shelling of the castle of Beersel. Um, so it will be kind of an extension of the brewery, kind of uh, just the experience that people have now. It will just become bigger. And it will, will be open uh, Friday, Saturday, Sundays. I mean, this is our way as well to start working more on the tourism side yeah. and let people discover really the brewery. We want to connect more with our consumers and this is going to be a great way, I believe. Yeah. There's a question here. Is it a dream to turn Old Beersel into a brewery as opposed to a blendery at some point in time? That's always been part of the project. But when I started, I started uh, Oddbeersel as a hobby. And we have a brew house at Oddbeersel because Oddbeersel started up as a uh, blendery in the past and then became a brewery. Uh, and uh, at closure of the brewery, uh, when I wanted to start up, uh, it was forbidden to use the old brew house because we have an aluminum uh, brew house. So we are not able to use that brew house anymore. Now, when I started, Oddbeersel was at, uh, let's say, in uh, production 250 hectoliters a year and it was a hobby for me so i had to choose between investing in wooden barrel capacity uh, capacity and the stock of lambic and the and, and the building and it, or investing in a brew house but investing in a brew house for 250 hectares uh, with little knowledge about the brewing process at that time i studied brewing uh, at uh, ghent but uh, still i mean you need experience as well and um I decided to go for the aging, uh, the fermentation, aging, and the uh, blending of the barrels, uh, of the lambic uh, from the barrels. And then um, the problem is about space. We are surrounded with uh, houses. We are in a, in an area where people are living. So it's always been difficult to combine the expansion of our beer. So I mean, we, are, we were doing before COVID 2,500 uh, 2, hectoliters. Last year, we did about 2,200 hectoliters um, in production. Uh, but that means, I mean, 10 times more than the initial uh, yeah, sure. on the same space. And you need a production space of a certain size to, to right. work. So, But is it a space issue for you or is it like is there something about being a blendery that you know you think is important or if you had the opportunity yeah definitely we'll, we're gonna brew our own wort oh it's a space issue it's an issue about uh, a lot of money uh, being involved as well about being able to manage everything but uh, next to the beer house so when we bought the beer house actually a few years ago a year later the old brewmaster Ari van der Velden passed away and so in 2005 when I took over the brewery I had also an option on his house and so we had the opportunity to, to opportunity to to lift the option on his house, and the budget that we put aside to invest in the beer house went into the purchase of the house. So we postponed the postponement. Uh, yeah, because we just invested invested in real estate. Because if we it was so important to have that bit of property right beside yeah, the brewery, because it it's the building in between our shop and the bar, and it also has the entrance uh, of the brewery uh, is part of that house. So if we didn't buy that and somebody would live there, then uh, I mean it's it's, it's, it's hard. It's yeah. very hard. So we purchased that. And the aim actually in the future is to uh, replace the house uh, and integrate it into the brewery 
uh, and the old brew house that we have at the moment and the top uh, front part, we can put a cool ship there and then build up the brew house there in front of the okay, street. Okay, so in the longer term, there is a, there is a plan then to, for, to use yes. that space. Okay. So first the, brew, uh, the beer house, let's uh, focus a bit on the beer house. Uh, we'll get that running and once that is running, the next step, uh, but it will be a big step and a long step. I mean, it, it doesn't go in, in one year, two years. There's a, a project of, of three to five years, but then we'll start uh, investing well and planning everything for the for the brew house. Okay, that's that's really exciting. Um, are the Scarabixic cherries in the orchard of Old Birsel sufficient to make all Scarabixic Creek or do you have to buy extra? Yeah, we buy uh, for now. I mean, the cherry trees, we've planted them uh, three, four years ago. Um, we've, this is a learning process for us, uh, the cherry orchard, because we planted them in a special way that we're going to guide the branches of the cherries. Um, now we had three warm, very warm summers and the field behind the brewery, uh, the top part of the soil is sand. Mm -hmm. And so during summer, the little water that is, uh, coming from the rain, it just goes through the, through the, uh, through the sand and the trees don't get a lot of, um, water so they don't grow that fast so we've uh, started covering the floor uh, around the trees now so we can keep the the floor uh, the ground a bit more wet and but we've trimmed them down now because we want them to grow in a certain uh, way and now we're going more for growth than for production of cherries mm -hmm. uh, because we want to uh, build up our experience one more year uh, and afterwards we're going to put a bigger field in the back of that uh, field so we have four times more field than uh, the current uh, cherry orchards but this is a learning curve to yes this, yeah. because this has never been done so you're actually becoming an orchardist as well as a blender as well as a bar owner yeah i mean it's all part of uh, the reviving of the old traditions and when you come to adbeersel you'll be experiencing all of this and in the future when the beer house is open uh, let's say it will be for next year spring summer uh, i'm sure we'll put some tables in the cherry orchard and people will be able to sit there and enjoy the cherry trees growing uh, so i mean uh, yeah, during blossom time yeah uh, Yes, Lisa. That's a question. Yes. Thank you. So your goose, Gert, uh, contains only of lambic coming from bone. Is there a specific reason for that you chosen for them? Maybe something that has to do with the history? Yeah, I mean, um, the before closure of Albersel, 50% of the wort of Albersel was produced at Albersel. Um, and 50% of the wort was already produced, outsourced at uh, Bone, but produced according to the recipe of Altbeersel. Why? Because the, the brew house that is currently there at Altbeersel is a very old brew house. And it was very, a, a big hassle to, to make a lot of production there. So how, already half was, um, was outsourced uh, in production. So when I started, I had to make the decision. So, I mean, for me, uh, I picked up, I picked up the way Albersel was working already in the past uh, with the production of our wort externally, but according to the recipe of Albersel. Mm -hmm. So we're not actually getting uh, bone lambic in, we're getting our own lambic in, our own recipe, but it's produced by bone for Albersel. That's why we blend only with our lambic because uh, we have our own lambic, but we do not produce it on site. Okay, thank you. So, so that would lead to you know my next question, which would be about that wort. You know, if you're having like the historical specifications, that's old basil wort produced in bone. 
Mm-hmm. How is that maybe different to other uh, uh, warts uh, that, that are brewed by both well, for other people? Albirzol has always been known for having a uh, lambic that uh, matures quite fast. Uh, they use that a lot in the bar. So already lambic of six, seven, eight months, uh, they were selling uh, that, that lambic in the bar. Uh, there's also a kind of bitterness to the lambic of Albirzol due to the use of a bit more hops. And uh, yeah, there's always been a bit the character of, uh, of Albirzol. Yeah. So a fast a lambic that goes fast uh, and it ages uh, nicely on the big fooders and it goes very fast on the old pipes that we have. And it's another example of the traditions reborn with, you know, using the kind of the, the, the fact that this was, this happened before in the, in the brewery. And the right. So there you have it. Those are the conversations from day one of the Tour de Cuse at home. You can watch all of those sessions in their entirety on the website tourdecuse.be. That's T-O-E-R-D-E-G-E-U-Z-E dot B-E. In the next podcast, we'll share some highlights from day two where we talk to John Matez of Hansen's Artisanal, with Carol and Jos Bone of Brauerei Bone, with Pierre Tilquin of Huserie Tilquin, with Carol Rudo of Huserstekerei Ode de Cam, and with Paul Ras of Brauerei de Troc. In another podcast to follow, we'll also share my conversation with Frank Bone about the Mega Blend 2021. That's a special blend which contains Lambic from each of the Horal members released just for the Tour de Cuse every two years. So thanks to you all for listening. Make sure that you subscribe to the podcast, sign up for our newsletter updates at belgiansmack.com and share the podcast with someone you think might be interested. My name is Brendan Kearney. And this has been the Belgian Smack Podcast. Until next time, love what you do.